Check, check. Hey, I think we're working. I think it's working. All right. Good morning, everybody. I feel like I'm really, I'm really tight on the camera shot. I need to like back up or something. Mm. I moved some things around. This is really, mm. well, we'll go, we'll go with this. So good morning. I am sorry. I am late. I, uh, overslept, honestly, uh, myself and my three-year-old, we both slept in today about an hour later than we should have. <laughs> we both woke up an hour late and we both woke up at about the same time. And, uh, we scrambled to get ready for school because today's a very important day. It's Halloween. And then also it's cowboy day at school for my three-year-old. So I had to dress him up as a cowboy and he looks adorable. And, uh, yeah, so I barely, I got him to school like 20 minutes late and then had to rush home. So I, I am sorry that I'm late, uh, but it's all good. I've had one cup of coffee and I have lots of things to talk about. So, um, before we get to all of that, thank you all for being here. Thank you for everybody who's watching over on rumble and D live and on Foxhole and on telegram. And soon I may add one more place. I do have the ability to stream to Twitter and I'm thinking, I know one tactic that people use on with, when streaming to Twitter is they will go live to Twitter initially and then like do like a, you know, like 10, 30 minutes of their show on Twitter and then kill that feed and ask everybody to jump on over to rumble or somewhere else where they have more, more ability to, to speak. Uh, without worrying about getting banned. Uh, there hasn't been, there haven't been real changes to, I mean, there's definitely something's changed with Twitter. The way that the way the site is working, there's definitely something that has changed, but excuse me, I'm not, I'm not jumping into Twitter, you know, with two feet and trying to plant myself there and get in, and then get banned by the algorithm or shadow banned by the algorithm or by some woke tard who still works there. Um, cause I know Elon has fired some people, but I'm not, I'm not trying to just go in there and act like it's a brand new place. It's still the Twitter that we've known. It's just something's been, to me, it seems like something's been turned off. It seems to me, um, that they've changed something on the back end, but the way Twitter works that is making people not shadow banned. And I'm seeing people on Twitter that I've been following for years that have, I've never seen in my, I haven't seen in my feed for probably three years and they didn't reactivate. They, they've been there the whole time. It's just that now their tweets are showing up. Um, and lots of people are reporting that there's something has changed on the back end, but Twitter isn't a totally new place now it hasn't been quote-unquote fixed so anyway i'm thinking about streaming on twitter and um in the future i'm just not i want to i want must to change some things first so i know that i don't go live there and then get banned uh you know shortly after um all right today we're going to talk about true the vote and the greg, greg and Catherine's case in texas and we're going to talk about Elon and Twitter and we're probably and then we're going to talk about Pelosi. Those are probably the main things we're going to hit on today. And then I have so much material after being off last week. We went to the pumpkin patch on Friday and it was great. 
we had a we had a we had a blast got tons of great pictures and um had a great family day um had a good family weekend honestly um the f1 race was a bummer it was a it was kind of a dull race but uh anyway i have so much material i'm thinking about doing a bonus hour tonight is Halloween, of course, so I'm planning to take my kids out trick-or-treating in, in an area of town where it's, like, the whole neighborhood uh, goes active for Halloween. It's, like, the most popular place to go, and uh, I'm thinking about doing... I'm planning... Well, we're planning on doing that, but it's also supposed to rain tonight, so it may all get rained out. If it does all get rained out and, you know, it's kind of like, well, can't go trick-or-treating, then... I may record a bonus hour tonight and publish it on my Substack and on my locals. Or I may save it for tomorrow night. We'll see. But anyway, I have so much material and I don't want to fall behind. I don't want to I don't want to save it for Wednesday. Uh cuz by Wednesday there'll be a whole new slew of fresh material to cover. So I'm I'm planning on doing a bonus hour either tonight or tomorrow. All right, let's go to Let's go to the first thing. I want to go to, well, let's just go alphabetical. We'll just go alphabetical. Yeah. Let's pull this up. Yeah, Bolsonaro and the election in Brazil. No bueno. Um, I don't, I don't know if Trump has commented on it yet. I know when I went to bed last night, Trump hadn't said anything, and Bolsonaro also hadn't posted anything on his Twitter. Um, definitely something to watch. Disappointing, but it's also like I, it's nobody should be surprised, and I'm sure y'all aren't surprised. And I don't know. My my main thought is what Joanne Coach said to me and I shared. It's like with with a week to go for our own elections, is this what's is this gonna be effectively an October surprise where Brazil exposes a bunch of voter fraud right as we're heading into our own midterms? And then voter fraud suddenly comes into the public conversation in an international way. And of course, our mainstream media isn't going to report it, but we'll have to make the difference on that, right? So I don't know that this is what is going to happen, but I like that thought that this could act, you know, effectively as a October surprise where Brazil starts dealing with its own voter fraud issues and the whole world is paying attention to it. Um, because it's, I mean, I got to say, the crowds that we saw turning out for Bolsonaro, don't they rival or exceed what we saw for Trump? Like some of those, I can't, I mean, I can't tell. You would have to get really similar camera shots and whatnot and compare them. But man, the support for Bolsonaro was absolutely massive. It's really difficult to believe that the election was that close. So we'll see. Um, I, I, I do kind I do wonder I don't I don't think that's over I'm not convinced that this this thing in Brazil is necessarily over 
Um, and then I think Israel has an election coming up this week. I think it's today or tomorrow or pretty sure Israel, there's an election in Israel this week too. You notice how all these countries are having these elections and having problems? Brazil, the UK, probably Israel. Um, I wonder what else. I mean, uh, to me, to me, it just seems like they they aren't able to steal it without the world noticing, and that's a good thing. All right. So Greg and Catherine and True the Vote. As you probably know, right around the time of the pit, True the Vote, I mean, uh, Connick filed a lawsuit against True the Vote. And this lawsuit is for defamation, I believe, and damages or whatever. And they're saying that True the Vote is accusing them of a bunch of stuff that they're innocent of. And that was right around the time of the pit. And then. A month ago, I guess it would be, Eugene Yu got arrested by, by Michigan, but by Michigan sheriffs, I believe, but he's, it's the warrant is out of LA County and it's, he got arrested for all the stuff that he's been accused of doing and that Greg and Catherine and True the Vote said he was doing. Um, but this judge in Texas where this, that's handed the lawsuit from Connick against True the Vote has he needs all this information in this courtroom so they get sued and Connick says either all the mean things they said about us and none of them are true and greg and Catherine are like look this is the information we have we took it we we got this informant this guy found this stuff we took it to the fbi the fbi opened an investigation and it's all legit and the judge is like well all right, you're telling me these things, but you got to prove it. Why don't I? I remember there was one transcript where the judge is like, well, why isn't there an FBI agent in my court telling me all these things and confirming your story? And why isn't there this informant? Who's this person who gave you this information? Because uh, Connick is saying they stole this information. They hacked our servers. They stole this stuff from us. And Greg and Catherine are like, no, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. We were we had somebody call, contact us, and he showed us what he had, and we said, "Okay, we got to put you in touch with the FBI." We never, and they've they told the judge, "We've never possessed it. We've never possessed this information. The informant had it, who contacted us, and then we facilitated him contacting the Detroit FBI office, and I'm pretty sure it's Detroit FBI office. That's where the investigation ended up, anyway, for a time." Um, so we're not the, we're not, we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't break any laws. We never hacked anything. We never possessed any hacked information that we shouldn't have had. And the judge is like, okay, well, if that's the truth, then I need to know the name of this person because I need them in my courtroom. I need to know the name of this person who got this information and I need them here in my courtroom to testify to this. And, the, and they're like, we're not going to give up our, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not giving up the name of our informant because we're concerned for his safety. And from the judge's point of view, I can kind of, I can understand where he's coming from, where he can't, 
he can't judge things based on substacks and TV interviews and what's happening outside of his courtroom. He needs to have the information in a filing in his courtroom and judge it off of that. In order, for, he's basically he's kind of at a an impasse here where one side is saying they did this to us. Here's all the news articles and the truths, and here's the the other stuff that shows them defaming us and lying about us. And Greg and Catherine are on the other side saying, no, we didn't. We didn't lie about them and we didn't break any laws and we didn't hack them. And in fact, it turned into a criminal case. And the judge is saying, okay, well, I need, they have, they're showing me evidence of their claims through the, the truths and the substacks and the, and the other things, the interviews that they're showing me. I need you guys, Greg and Catherine, to get the FBI in here, or I need your informant in here. I need to see evidence of what you're saying. And Greg and Catherine are like, we can't give it to you. So a judge says, okay, well, then I'm going to have to hold you in contempt of court. And so because of that, today, I think uh, here in about an hour, hour and a half, Greg and Catherine are supposed to be in court again, and if they don't produce the informant or produce the FBI or produce enough information to satisfy the judge to negate his contempt charge, then Greg and Catherine are going to go to jail today. Thinking about it from Connick's perspective, I think there's no there's no downside for Conic um, because Conic either all they're doing is spending money, which they have a ton of money for. They have a ton of money, so they're spending money, and out of the money they spent, they're either going to cause Greg and Catherine to go to jail, which would help them, you know, would face safe for them, and they can drain money and energy from Greg and Catherine by doing this. Uh, right. So it's, there's no, there's no downside for them. They're either going to cause credibility issues for Greg and Catherine. They're going to waste their money and their energy. They're going to, um, cause Greg and Catherine to go to jail or, they're going to get access to who the informant is and they're going to find out who the person is who got all this information and then they're going to be able to sue them. So for Conic, there really isn't a downside to the play they're making here. It just costs a lot of money, but whether they lose this lawsuit against Greg and Catherine or win it, they're still getting something out of it. I mean, it's very fifth gen warfare, asymmetric warfare, what they're doing here. For Greg and Catherine there isn't really a win because they can defend themselves. And even if this case gets tossed, they've still had a whole bunch of time and energy and money of theirs used up in defending themselves. So I think that's really the battle that's going on here is it's asymmetric warfare to drain resources and morale from your opponent. And that's from Connick's perspective and to at a best 
That's at minimum that's going to happen. At best, you actually expose who the informant is and then Conant gets to sue them, right? So um, the judge I've looked into just a little bit, he is very cantankerous or at least comes across that way in the um, in the filings. I do understand where he's coming from because the judge the judge can only like I said he can only he can only make decisions on what the filings are that are in front of him or the people that are in front of him so he needs an FBI agent in front of him to or a a, a statement from the FBI or something that would back up Greg and Catherine or he needs the name of this informant to come forward and fill out an affidavit and swear in court that, yeah, this is what took place. Um, what's going on in Los Angeles County. Yeah, it can help inform the judge, but it has to some way come in to his courtroom. It's not, see, it's not up to the judge to do all the legwork. It's not up to the judge to contact the FBI or to contact Los Angeles or to, whatever it's up to the parties in the case to do all that work and to show their case and prove their case to the judge. So I'm not, I'm pretty neutral on this judge right now. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty neutral on this judge. I'm leaning towards this judge is not so good. I'm leaning towards him being not so good, but Right now, I'm I'm kind of neutral on him. So, getting to today, over the weekend, Greg and Catherine made a new filing, and I want to take you through it. It's not very long, but this filing could buy them more time. It's possible. It could buy them more time. It could keep them out of jail. It's possible. I'm not saying it will, but it's possible that the filing they put out this weekend will keep them out of jail today. What it definitely does is it gives us more insight into some of the things that have been going on with Greg and Catherine. Um, the judge, yeah, I, I'm, I'm purposefully trying to see this from the judge's perspective instead of reacting with the, well, the judge must be crooked because he won't do what we want him to do. Um, he may, in fact, be a crooked judge. He may, in fact, be a terrible judge. But I don't know that. Um, looking at the looking at the case right now, I can see where the judge is like, look, you need to prove your case to me. So prove it. I'm ready. Um, I do think he could be a bit more pleasant. But... Yeah. He's an old federal judge. And, uh... Yeah. I'm not going to expect him to be the most pleasant. All right. So here's the filing from Greg and Catherine. This is just the, the, the first page of it. And this is defendants. They're the defendants. True the vote. Defendant submission of evidence in furtherance of request to purge finding of contempt. So they want them to get rid of this finding of contempt. Here's some evidence that backs up what we're trying to tell you, judge. Defendants submit the attached exhibits. The first affidavit is from Greg Phillips. Second affidavit is from Catherine, and it has text exchanges with FBI special agents. So that's really good. That's really, really helpful to their cause. They also filed the criminal complaint against Eugene Yu out of Los Angeles, and they filed the conditions of release for Eugene Yu 
from the state of Michigan showing that, hey, the things that we were involved in and facilitated in this case against Eugene Yu and Connick, they actually led to these criminal charges against him, and he's currently on house arrest, Judge. So we're not talking out our butt. We're not making stuff up about this 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 co- this company and this CEO. There's a- they're actually in legal trouble, criminal trouble right now. So here's the affidavit of Greg Phillips. Before me, the undersigned notary on this day personally appeared, Greg Phillips. My name is Greg Phillips. I am over 18 of sound mind and capable of making this affidavit. The facts stated in this affidavit are within my personal knowledge and true and correct. I have carefully, I have read again, carefully, the temporary restraining order entered into civil action in this case, to which I am a named party and I have conferred extensively with counsel in recent days. I can confirm and have been entrusted by the other named defendants to confirm that all defendants will comply with the TRO, temporary restraining order, and the preliminary injunction in all respects and honor the court's respect, honor and respect the court's admonishments. Concerning the subsections of the court's order directing defendants to appear and show cause, I represent, with regard to subsection 5, to the best of my personal knowledge, the name and identity of the personal organization who accessed the electronic information from a computer, as alleged in the complaint, was revealed in open court during the hearing on October 6th. So the person who did this made the access has been revealed in court. To be precise, it is my understanding that the computer in question may not have been actually owned by Connick, as that term is commonly understood. Upon information and belief, the server from which the information was accessed is located in China. With regard to subsection 6, Directly or through counsel, as the court may direct, defendants and defendants' counsel will work confidentially with all diligence, expedience, and in good faith with the plaintiff and counsel for the plaintiff to answer the questions set out and to address all matters identified to the best of their personal knowledge. Subject to any protective order, the court may issue at the very earliest opportunity, convenient for all parties and counsel. And with regard to subsection 7, to the best of my personal knowledge, the only persons and or entities who have had the electronic information to which I understand the order is directed in his, her, or its possession or custody or control, is the person identified during the hearing in open court on October 6th. And the Federal Bureau of Investigation, including but not necessarily limited to Special Agent Bobby Nagayan, or Kevin McKenna of the San Antonio Division. So, he's telling the judge, look, the only people who have this, this data, this electronic information... It's not us. We don't have the electronic information. It's the FBI out of San Antonio, and then it's the person who accessed it. And we've already identified for you on October 6th, and I believe that was in a sealed filing, but then it came out into the open what the name was. Um, They're the only people who have this. We don't have this, Judge, so we can't give it to you. Now, here's the most interesting filing in this, probably. Probably the most interesting filing. Let me, can I zoom in on Catherine? What, let me. Oh, it's because that one's so, that image is so big, that page. Uh, hold on. All right, so this is an affidavit from Catherine 
and she swears out that everything that follows is true and accurate. And these are text exchanges between Catherine Engelbrecht and special agents of the FBI. Bear with me because these texts are actually kind of hard to follow. They're not in chronological order. Detroit, Michigan, and then there's some other names. Let me scroll down. Here is um, Bobby. Remember this guy's nickname was Bobby Nagayan, but I want to say you don't say Nagayan when you pronounce the names like this. I don't think you pronounce the the N, right? Don't you say, don't you, don't you, isn't the N silent in names like this? I don't remember. Anyway, this is an FBI agent. Um, they put it in as Bobby Nugent. Right here, Bobby Nugent, and then Bobby Nugent with two T's, and then another contact that says true, true dat. So there's, <laughs> there's, I don't, I, I don't know if we're supposed to believe that all of these contacts are the same person, but in their contact list, they have Nugent, Bobby Nugent, and then they also have true dat. And there's Catherine, and there's Bobby Nugent, and then someone named KK, and then Greg, okay? So just giving y'all people's names. And then there's here's KK, and I don't know who KK is. Um, let's see, it's Christina. So Christina, another FBI agent out of San Antonio. And these are texts from KK. So these aren't in alphabetical or in chronological order, but let's go through them and see if we can piece them together as best we can. So starting with this one right here, which I believe is Bruce Fowler. Okay, so June 29th. Message from Catherine. Hey, Bruce, just give me a call whenever you're ready to chat. There was a missed call, then a call back. Hi, Bruce. Sorry for delay. I waited to confirm your number with Kay. I'm not sure why signal is not connecting for me on outbound calls. I'm available if you'd like to call me or connect with another platform. No problem. Free tomorrow to chat. Yes, let's set a time. So they arrange for 2.30 p.m. or 1.30 central. That'll work. All right. And then they have a call. July 7th, from Catherine, hey Bruce, K mentioned you'd asked, that would be the other K, the other special agent out of San Antonio, mentioned you'd ask about the geospatial data that we are using to model the ballot trafficking and other points of interest. Glad to visit with you about it. Let me know when you have a few minutes to talk. Okay, thanks. I'll contact you. That'll be fine. I'm back in my office and trying to get caught up. This is from the agent. Can we chat tomorrow at 2.30? Catherine says, I'll be on a flight until 3 p.m. Can we aim for 3.30 Central? That's fine. Thursday or Friday better. How about Friday? Friday morning, they agree. That works. I'll be in Chicago. Phone is fine, but did want to let you know that we could be in person. He says he can't, so they bump their call back to another time. This isn't that interesting, except for that it shows they're communicating and they're 
she was in contact with the FBI and they're arranging for phone calls and chats and meetups. And, um, the FBI wouldn't be doing that for fun. There's, there's an interest here. More of them arranging for phone calls. This is August 9th. So this is leading up to the pit, which took place on, what was it? August 13th, 14th, 15th. So August 6th, can we meet on this day? August 9th, they're trying, we just had some questions about the materials. So here we go. Here's something with some substance to it. She's, she's telling them, I'm sorry, I missed your call with 3 p.m. Central work. This is August 9th. So a few days before the pit, you're interested in discussing this. Um, and the FBI agent writes back, we just had some questions about the materials that were on the flash drive you provided to K. That would be the San Antonio special agent regarding your open info queries. So it's a, it's a high likelihood that what they're talking about there is the flash drive that contains the information that their source was able to get. Don't know that for sure, but probable. And then he writes her, her again on September 20th. So this is after the pit. Oh, wait, this is from 2021. Sorry about R. Terrell. Thank you very much. R. Terrell, thank you very much. That's even better. That's even better. This is a year ago. Oh, good. Oh, good. So this is a total, this is a, all a year ago. He gives her his, uh, his email. Thank you for catching that, R. Terrell. All right, so right here, he brings up the special agent brings up with Catherine, we are meeting with the EAC, the Election Assistance Commission, on Monday. Were you able to obtain any additional information that we had talked about? Hi, Bruce. I thought I'd send it after our call, but if you don't have it, candidly, I no longer remember what you were looking for. Would you please remind me? I'm looking for info on Michigan-centric details, financial data that may have been compromised, info regarding the Australian subsidiary, an alleged civil suit. I did not receive an email after our last conversation. Okay, I will check. Here's something you might find interesting. It's a link to Gumshoe News and Eugene Yu and Connick. All right. That's really interesting because Connick got busted in Australia or there was a lawsuit in Australia. So they're interested, the FBI is interested in the details from that. Um, that's good. That points to, one, we want the FBI to be interested in it, period. But it also backs up Greg and Catherine's case that they're making to this judge. That, Look, we've been working on the FBI with this stuff for over a year, and we're not trying to slander this company. We didn't break any laws. We're working with law enforcement. So that helps... That, that helps, this goes a long way to help them with the judge. All right, the FBI replies to that link. That is interesting. I hadn't seen that. I was waiting to contact you until you visited with uh, Huey or Weed. So that'd be the Bobby guy out of the San Antonio office. 
to ensure that the database had been shared. That should absolutely give you what you need regarding compromise of financial data. If you'd like to talk in greater detail, please let me know. I wonder if... Okay, he, he asked her, so is it your understanding that you've already shared a database that contains financial information? Yes, we just went back through everything with San Antonio office. Is there any way you could direct us to where that info would be? We've received three thumb drives from San Antonio. That'd be the San Antonio FBI. All right, so that's the good stuff from this text right here because that backs up their claims that they've been working with the FBI on this case and that they had an informant, they took him to meet with the FBI, looks like a San Antonio office first. San Antonio office got this these thumb drives and this information and then was working with the Detroit office because Connick is located in Michigan. Financial data, my read on this, and it's just a guess, my read on this is that by financial data, they're talking about, I wonder if, well, I'm wondering if they're talking about personal, personal info, not Connick's financial data, but the financial data of poll workers. I'm not sure though, but it says that should absolutely give you what you need regarding compromise of financial data. I don't know that, but that's what it makes me think is that that's what it's referring to. Um, okay. So next we have Bobby Nugent. We'll, since she put it in, since she put his name in as uh, Bobby Nugent, that's what we'll call him out of the San Antonio office. I see, I see everybody recommending to me how to pronounce it in the win um, or Nguyen, but uh she put his contact in as Bobby Nugent <laughs> and he's special agent with San Antonio FBI. This is from June. Hey there, we can help our Georgia contacts are using our ability to produce the G hmm. I wonder if that's Georgia. I'm guessing it's Georgia. It makes let's let's read it. I'll just say GA. Our GA contacts are using our ability to produce the GA agent's name as a proof point to gauge our earnestness. Both Greg and I understand that this is ridiculous on their part, but if you could send me a name to assuage them as soon as possible, it would be hugely helpful to our continued relationship building in GA. Kevin knows the name of the agent. Let me get it. But in the meantime, you can tell them that you filled the complaint. You filed the complaint with special agent Bobby Nugent and special agent Kevin McKenna with the San Antonio division. We've given them your card and explained how it happened. They don't care because no one in the GA office that they've talked to is affirming our story. The name is key. Just got it from Kevin. It's Joe Jensen. I'm pretty sure it's the Georgia FBI office because I'm aware of another case involving True the Vote in Georgia. Um, I'm pretty sure they're talking, GA is representing Georgia here. All right, from Catherine, she sends him some files. 
And the last two files, one has notes, one doesn't. This is ju for just one of the cases. Please let me know if this is helpful. If so, we'll send you more. He says, thank you. Please let me know if that's useful. We can get you whatever you need. Agent replies, as soon as I get some feedback, I'll let you know. Thank you again. That was on March 17th. On March 19th, Catherine messages Bobby Nugent again, FBI special agent. Was thinking about Conic Database. We know what we are looking for. Could we work with Zoe to write a query she could use to identify the database from within the da data set you were provided? That's on March 19th. We don't have any of the text that came after that, but then we have this selection from Thursday, September 22nd of this year. Okay. That looks like it would be this year. Yeah, 2022 right there. Okay. And it says, Hi, Bobby. I wanted to let you know that we took the nuclear option and went public in a very limited way, but nonetheless, we did it. Connick quickly filed a civil suit against us in Houston Federal Court and got an ex parte TRO, temporary restraining order. Part of the TRO required that we name who we gotten the election worker data from same person who provided it to you. We gave the court the name under seal. Our attorney also notified the Houston FBI office where the case was filed. I am very concerned about everyone's safety at this point. Please do whatever possible to help ensure that name never comes out. I can provide you with whatever you may need. All right. All right, let me um I'll go to the next one and then I'll go back to that that post. This is Christina, special agent out of San Antonio. This is from February 1st and it doesn't put the year on it, so I'm guessing it's from 2022. Thank you for asking. He is doing better. Da, 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 proper rehab. Absolutely. It's 5 Okay. Okay. All right. February 6th, Catherine tells, was it Christina? Yeah, Christina. Catherine tells Christina, special agent, FBI, to give you a heads up, we have, we have three things we'd like to discuss. One, was Atlanta Joint Task Force able to make use of our data? Two, are we good to go with the Michigan team? Do they have access to what they needed from y'all? Or three, our update in Arizona. We really need to get clear on one and two so we know how best to proceed. Thank you for your help. Tuesday, March 29th. Thank you for your time. Takeaways. One, please inquire about Jackson case status. I'm guessing Jacksonville. Two, Arizona contact to meet week of 3-4. So I'm guessing March 4th. Would that be no, that be past week of 3-4. Cuz this is already March 29th. Arizona contact to meet week of 3/4. Hmm. Okay, she okay, never mind. She meant 4/3. She corrected it down here. Okay, April 3rd. Okay. 3 Confirm with Bobby that he has the data Michigan needs, as we were told by our mutual contact that the data had been queued to the top of the data set. 
and notes sent to Bobby and others confirming such. Then please confirm with Detroit so they can get what they need and we can hopefully shut this down before midterms. Next set of text with KK. This is Christina, FBI agent out of San Antonio. This is from September 22nd this year. They had a phone call on the 15th. Confirms she's still at this number. The agent says, I, I hope you are doing well. Catherine replies, no, not so much. Would love to talk in person if possible. Glad to come to you. Agent replies, unfortunately, I'm on a temporary assignment out of state until January. Do you still have Bobby's number? The other agent. Yes, I have called and written him, but no response. We have been drugged into a vicious lawsuit filed against us. By Connick. Federal judge is requiring all manner of what we think should be confidential disclosures. Our attorneys have contacted the FBI and been told that the Bureau has no interest in engaging with the court in order to maintain confidentiality. Greg, me, and the researcher who originally provided us the data we then provided to Bobby are all in danger. We have all been doxxed. It is all over the press. Lastly, there is the possibility that I've been poisoned. Toxicology reports are being reviewed now. It's a very serious situation and we've been left to hang. Eugene Yu has already been indicted by a grand jury and arrested by Los Angeles, by Los Angeles County. Meanwhile, we continue to hear chatter that the FBI is working with Connick against us and is still trying to accuse us of crimes we did not commit. What Bobby said on the phone that day in April 2022, when you were reading the yearly confidential informer disclaimer to me, has gone into full overdrive. We operated in good faith with the Bureau. Never did anything even approaching a crime. Kept y'all fully apprised and have nowhere to turn as we liter are literally fighting for our freedom now every single day. I believe you are a true patriot. Beyond that, I also now believe Greg and I have been set up. It's appalling, heartbreaking, and wrong. I wish you were here and wish you could help, but I know that's not possible. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe. Please keep us in your prayers. Okay. I wanted to come back to this message here where she says they chose the nuclear option and went public. Um, These texts that she provided to the court fit with everything they told us leading up to the pit, what they said at the pit, and then what they have said since. So my impression after reading these texts last night and then again just now, like it all matches what they told us. It adds more detail than what they gave us initially. Um, and fills in some gaps because now we know they went to the like now we know they went to the San Antonio office first and this was connecting to the Georgia thing that was going on. Um, but it all matches. So 
to me, like Greg and Catherine's credibility has gone way up with me. I mean, it was already high, but it's gone way up with me because all these texts confirm everything they told us. I do think the judge, this is good. This is good stuff for the judge to look at and hopefully not send them to jail today. Um, Again, if they go to jail, they're going to jail for contempt of the court. They're not going to jail because they actually are guilty of what they're being accused of by Connick. They would be they'd be going to jail for not giving the judge what the judge is asking them for. Namely, they're not giving up their informant's name. Also included in this is the criminal complaint against Eugene Yu right here. And I'm not going to read that whole thing, but it's there. And then also the conditions of his release, which show that, yeah, he was arrested and he's on house arrest and he's got um, an ankle monitor, I think, or whatever. So that's all good stuff for them to have included. Hopefully it's enough for them to not go to jail today. I mean, to me, I feel like the judge would read this and be like, okay, yeah, you guys were actually in contact with the FBI and you were working on some of this stuff. I need to, I need to consider this and I need to take some steps to get in contact with the FBI. The most concerning thing, of course, is this last message where she says they feel like they've been set up. Um, because the FBI is not stepping in to defend them. And yeah, there's no, there's no putting lipstick on that pig. But what this does confirm though, this confirms that they took the information that's provided by the informant and they took it to the FBI in San Antonio and the San Antonio talked to FBI office in Georgia and FBI office in Detroit. And they opened an investigation and they did investigate Connick. And there is a Connick investigation. One thing I was thinking about is that if the FBI had opened an investigation into Connick and then closed it, like just said, ah, there's nothing here. It's closed. Right. If that had happened, then the FBI would be able to talk about this. The FBI would be able to show up in court or at least issue a statement for Greg and Catherine to use or for Connick to use that said, look, we looked into this information that Greg and Catherine gave us and it was bunk or it was a nothing burger and we closed that investigation. Right? If the investigation had been closed, the FBI would be able to talk about it. The fact that they're not talking about it the fact that Connick doesn't have a statement from the FBI saying we close that investigation for lack of evidence tells you the investigation is probably still active. And it also tells you that what Greg and Catherine gave the FBI was credible and substantial. So, so prayers up for them. Prayers up for them. My, like I said, my respect and admiration for Greg and Catherine has only increased through this lawsuit. 
it's it's only gone up and um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens there was one other thing that greg said right here i don't want to read emerald robinson's substack because she is a sensationalist but Greg Phillips posted yesterday and then deleted this. When the story of Connick, the FBI, Catherine and I is finally told, I guarantee you will be shocked. In June, I said 10 times bigger than mules. I was wrong. It's a thousand times bigger. As Catherine says, what you know about Connick is a snowflake in a glacier. It's a story of cowardice, espionage, and treason. The person we are protecting is self-important. He is inconsequential to the story. He has no risk. He is afraid. We are going to jail because he is a coward siding with the FBI. So I'm, I'm actually not sure how to... He put, well, he posted, um, he posted later on that the attorneys and this informant person who doesn't want to come forward, um, we're working on something last night and he deleted this post because they reached out to him and asked him to delete it because they're still working with this person, trying to get him to be willing to come forward and appear in court today. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. All right. I want to move. That's enough. To, I've spent enough time on True the Vote. All we can do right now is is pray that. I hope they don't go to jail. But honestly, if they go to jail, like for contempt, I think they're going to be okay. Like I don't. I'm not. Um, I'm not actually too overall worried about them. And I, I mean, no defense, no offense to them or anything. Like I don't want them to go to jail, but I'm not, I'm not like stressing about this. Like, Oh God, it's over. Greg and Catherine are going to jail or anything. Like it's just part of asymmetric warfare. And Connick is engaged with them in this asymmetric warfare through the court because they're in real trouble. And like I said, they're trying to get the name of the informant and they're trying to drain resources and drain energy and damage morale of Greg and Catherine. But in the process of this, Greg and Catherine are looking more and more legit. And while they're being sued, Eugene Yu is on house arrest because he's being extradited to L.A. County for exactly the crimes that Greg and Catherine exposed at the pit and with uh, the Info.Inc. and with all this, all the stuff they provided. So... Everything they have pointed to, everything that they have brought up and said, this is what we found, has proved true. And it's proved so true that the FBI has an investigation into Connick and L.A. County issued an arrest warrant for Eugene. So... <laughs> it's... It definitely sucks, 
but it's the more the more that we're seeing in this the more filings happen in this case, the more we're seeing that Greg and Catherine have been telling the truth and that what they have is substantial. And it's Connick who's con see, like I'm looking at this and I'm like, Greg and Catherine aren't actually on defense here. It's Connick who's on the defense and is fighting from a defensive position. It's not Greg and Catherine who are on the defense. So anyway, I see the trolls and rumble have showed up. That's all right. One, one day rumble will have moderation and we can get rid of the trolls that show up in rumble. But until then, there's still going to be some, uh, some of those types. Some, some of those types are going to show up because they have nothing to better, better to do with their lives. All right. It'd be great if they learned to enjoy the show, but um, by their nature, they are disruptors and they are destructive. Probably because they're unhappy with their own life, which is really sad. So, all right. On to Twitter and Elon. Let me make sure this is unmuted. It comes with a big penalty. I, I do think we've failed in a couple of ways, and I, I want to admit that. Failure comes with a big penalty. You're fired. Uh, I... Why don't we... Yeah. Off. <laughs> and, what, and one more. One more. Are we in an air raid? <laughs> oh, those clips are so good. These clips are from um, Damon Amani. Damon Amani over on Rumble. He's got several good clips. I'm brand new to him, but he's on Twitter. And these clips he put together on, uh, on Rumble are really good. All right, here we go. So Elon actually did buy Twitter. And remember, there were so many people that were saying, oh, he's going to, back like six months ago, people like, he's not really going to buy it. This is all a ploy to, to destroy Twitter. And no, he is going to buy it. And there was all this argument and people were speculating. And some people, were, in the middle of the summer, people were like, see, I told you he'd never buy it because he was backing out of the, the deal or whatever. And then remember, he tried to buy it. And then Twitter was like, no, you can't buy us. And then the board was like, well, wait a minute, we're losing money every year. We could like, we could really like to make some money here. And uh, Twitter was like, yeah, I'm going to buy you. Or Elon's like, yeah, I'm buying you. And then a couple months go by and there's a big fight and a lawsuit. And then Musk is like, nah, never mind. I'm not going to buy you. I'm not buying Twitter. And then Twitter gets mad and they're like, no, you are buying us. You have to buy us now. And it's, it's been this huge drama for like six months. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. It's been so entertaining. It has exposed so much about Twitter, their bots, the way they've run the company. And there's also been a, a, a story that hasn't been talked about as much 
as it should be, should be talked about, that Parag, the CEO, Jack, the founder of Twitter, and Elon Musk have all been texting and are all pretty friendly. But mostly Elon and Jack are friendly. Parag is like this manager type who's always trying to please everybody. So in, in some of the text messages that have come out in the lawsuit, um, it's been pretty funny because Elon is Elon at one point he he messaged, I think it was Parag he messaged and said, Hey, like Parag was like making all this about how he's making all these excuses about this and that and concerns about this or that. And Elon wrote back to him, Hey, what have you gotten done this week? Like just this total boss move of boss man looking down at an employee and saying, what have you done for the company this week? Uh, enough with your BSing. So, and then it finally happened. He did buy it. And as soon as he acquired it on Thursday, going into Friday, he fired people. He fired he said his official title and Elon maintains this. His official title is Ch chief twit. He said in a tweet yesterday, I think it was that he is chief twit and he doesn't know who the CEO is of the company. <laughs> um, but Elon fired CEO Parag Agrawal, CFO Ned Siegel and general counsel Sean Edget as well as Vijaya Gade or Vijaya Gada. Vijaya is the B-I-T-C-H who is most responsible, it seems, for all of Twitter's shadow banning and outright banning and account suspensions, including Trump's account suspension and a whole bunch of other. She's the person who went on with Jack on Joe Rogan's podcast years ago with Tim Pool. And basically, you could tell that she had Jack handcuffed. I mean, you could tell that she controlled Jack. It was, I remember that podcast really well because Tim Pool was at his best. And in my opinion, Tim Pool isn't nearly as good as he used to be, as Tim Pool was at his best then. And when Tim Pool was engaging on that show, he was awesome. And him and Jack, actually seemed to have a good conversation going and seeing eye to eye on a number of things. But then Vijaya would jump in and basically strangle Jack and hold him back and prevent him from continuing with the conversation. Um, Temple was good then, but since then he's, uh, anyway. Uh, so, God bless, God bless Elon Musk. He went through with it and now he owns it. And like I said earlier at the beginning of this show, he hasn't made a whole bunch of changes quite yet, but he is having a lot of fun. Um, there is some fake news going around. There's fake news that the layoffs at Twitter would take place before November 1st. And that's because of some grants and some stock options and stuff like that, he, that Elon Musk is being an evil capitalist. Uh, this is incorrect. And Elon Musk said so. This is false. This is not true. Um, oh, exposing them all. Yeah, I do think Vijaya is the CIA handler of Jack. I do agree with that. And I think it's gone now. I think she's 
I think Jack is free. Elon Musk in a tweet shares link from site known to publish fake news. According to New York Times, Elon said, no, this is fake. I did not tweet out a link to the New York Times. And this is just one of many examples of Elon Musk basically just taking the piss to MSM and other BS artists on Twitter. He also posted this, which may be the most important tweet of the weekend. Watchtel and Twitter board deliberately hid this evidence from the court. Stay tuned for more. And this is Yoel Roth. And he's texting. This is in a conversation. We can't see all of it, but Elon Musk can see all of it. He says, but also, LOL, if Amir continues to BS me, my escalation route is Amir's OKRs are entirely based on fraudulent metrics, and he doesn't care and may actively be trying to hide the ball. Literally doing what Elon is accusing us of doing. This goes to Twitter misrepresenting the state of the company. Elon Musk said that Twitter board and the U.S. law firm Watchtail deliberately hid evidence from the court. That is big. A cognitive carbon had a great um, Telegram post about this where he wrote, the chess game between Elon and Twitter is far from over. By taking the company private last week, he prevents the market from devaluing the stock on the basis of news of fraud, such as this fraud. The implication here is he caught them hiding evidence from the court that could invalidate the deal. Because the stock isn't trading on the market, Elon could recover most of his investment, step back, throw a match, and walk away. That's true, he could do that, but I do not believe that's what Elon will do this, will do. Um, I think Elon's goal before I get to that next thing. All right. So this whole time I've always believed that Elon would buy Twitter. I've never bought into the idea that he, uh, was toying with the idea of buying it and he was going to pull out and he was just going to, um, he was going to like, let Twitter fall apart because he had exposed all these bots or whatever. I never bought into that. I've always thought that he would buy Twitter and he would use, well, actually what I've always bought into is exactly what he said. Elon said earlier in the spring that what he wanted to do was buy Twitter, make it better, make the cord, the, the code open source. He wanted to, make it a free speech platform that was available worldwide. And he wanted to join it in with Starlink and he wanted Twitter to be this open forum. The entire world could use to communicate. He wanted Twitter to be what it actually could be and be as great as it could be. And he and Jack began a conversation, both public and private about just that. And they saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And I've, I think that that has been Elon's goal this whole time. And I think Elon's going to do it. I don't think that he was ever going to pull out of this deal. It was always just him playing a chess match with the Twitter board and with the Twitter uh, 
CEO and lawyers and their, their law firm and all of that. What it's leading to is this. It's going to lead to an open social, social network or a protocol. And what they're building with Blue Sky, which is Jack's project, is that they want to make it where you can post on True Social and it can appear, thanks to this protocol, on other sites. And this is, I think this is the real goal. And I think that's why Trump is saying, look, I love truth, but I'm not going back to any other place. I'm not going any place else as much as they want me. Trump has been saying he's not going back to Twitter. I don't think he is going back to Twitter. But I do think that his account on Twitter is going to be unsuspended. And then he's going to use Blue Sky to post on truth, and his truths are going to appear on Twitter. And if you want to interact with his truths, you got to go to True Social. But you can still see his truths on Twitter. I think that's where this is headed, and I don't think Trump will go back, but it would be crazy. It would be absolutely insane for Trump to have no presence whatsoever on Twitter because Trump had 80 to 90 million followers there. He was huge there. It would be he was so impactful on Twitter. It would make it would be no sense for Trump to just leave that on the table. He has to go back, quote unquote, but he can go back in a different way. He doesn't have to only use that platform or actually make that his number one platform. He can still use truth the way he does and then have those truths appear on Twitter. I think that's what that's what we're gonna see happen. And Blue Sky, they announced, um, I want to say it was last month, it may have been beginning of this month, that there was like a, uh, not beta, but alpha version of it, of the protocol that they were testing out. So they're not that far away from this actually being able to be a thing. And you know how Elon has an account reserved on True Social. I wouldn't be surprised if Elon starts using Blue Protocol and then, or Blue Sky Protocol, and he's, his tweets start appearing on Truth Social. Interesting times. The whole idea of it is a decentralized social network. So, other thing he's doing, which is really interesting, is that Elon is going to force the blue check journalists, politicians, and everybody else to pay at least $20 a month for the badge, for the little check mark. And this person points out that this is brilliant because it's destroying the, their vain status symbol. It will now be a badge signifying only that they are willing to pay tribute to Emperor Musk. And I think that's pretty. I think that's a decent take that him by by charging people for this blue check, he's actually causing them to have to pay him money. Uh, so it's pretty smart. But I actually like this take from Yossi Gestetner more. He says, some Twitter advertisers are threatening to pull ads if Trump's account is reopened. 
And in the last four quarters, Twitter had lost $111 million on $5.2 billion in gross revenue. So I doubt that Elon Musk paid $43 billion to then squabble for scraps from advertisers. Musk wants ad money, but his business model is not for the same setting as above. If he has a bargain rate of 2.5% on his $13 billion loan that helped fund the deal, that's $325 million in interest the first year. You think he will bend to a $5 million advertiser? No way. My point is not on Trump's account. I'm talking in general. Elon Musk put up more than $25 billion of his own money, plus $18 million from other sources and loans, to buy Twitter. He didn't do it to beg companies whom he can buy out in his sleep for permission for how to run Twitter. Days after the tweets above and reports say that Elon Musk will expand eligibility, eligibility and benefits of the blue check for $60 to $240 a year. If millions sign up, it will generate billions of dollars. As I said, he didn't buy Twitter to be at the mercy of small-time advertisers. So this is what's going to happen, I think. I think these, these companies, these woke companies... are going to pull out of Twitter. They're going to pull their advertisements from Twitter because they're mad at, Ru at Elon Musk actually making it free speech and allowing different opinions on, namely MAGA and Trump. They're going to pull their money out of ads and it's going to make it better for us because we won't have to see their BS ads anymore. <laughs> I hate the ads on Twitter and I also hate the ads on Truth Social, but... The ads on Twitter I, are, are much nicer, but I still hate them. So they're going to pull out their money, and Elon Musk is going to be like, whatever. And then he's going to charge up to $240 a year for these blue check people to have their check, which they value so much. And that's going to bring in billions of dollars to his company. And instead of being on this ad model... um this ad model that they've been on, it's going to change into this rev a revenue model of users putting money into Twitter. Much better model. I mean, there might still be ads on Twitter, but getting rid of these uh, sensitive, these uh, woke tards and these, these anti-free speech companies and their ads, that's not a bad thing. That helps. I like that. Okay. All right. Before I get to that one, I want to point out Darcy here mentioned that the Twitter takeover was just in time for the QAnon anniversary date of 1028. I don't think that was an accident. I don't think it was an accident at all that Elon Musk took over Twitter on the date that he did. Seems, seems planned to me. Seems timed that he took it over on exactly 1028. And at 11.49 p.m. on 1027, the day before, he posts, the bird is free. 
I don't know that post nine six or five six four is specifically related to that, but it's a real good fit. It's a re I mean, this really fits. And the last thing on the Twitter stuff, well, maybe not the last thing, but next to last, Peter Strzok put out this tweet saying, your DMs are not encrypted. Tweets you send and forward an email, text, signal, etc., have a tag linking them to your account, which you can delete. Hostile foreign nations and non-state actors could give a damn about terms of service. Don't leave, but be smart. I don't think that's a message for us. I think that, um, I think Peter Strzok posted that message for all the hostile operators on Twitter that are now busted because Elon has access to all of this stuff and there's no hiding behind there's no there's no hiding it anymore the CIA does not control Twitter anymore Elon Musk the DOD's number one contractor has now bought Twitter and taken it private. And he can do with it what he wants. So I think Strzok is telling these hostile operators and these deep state assets on Twitter, yo, you need to be smart here. Because Elon, Elon Anon, Elon Anon just got control of all of your Twitter history. Okay, next thing, next thing I want to cover is Pelosi, but first I need to take a break because I need more coffee. I've drank all the coffee that I had, so hold on just a moment. Let me, uh, let me get some, uh, chill music because... We're going to have a short intermission while I refill my coffee cup. Just a moment. Is it this one?
short break. Be back in about three to five minutes. I'm back. So we got, let's see, I got about 30 minutes. Yeah, I got about 30 minutes more of the show. And go ahead and get this ready over here. What I want to do is I want to cover the Pelosi news and without <laughs> without the uh without putting out a bunch of fake news all right i got this ready right here thank you everybody who's watching on d live telegram and rumble 
appreciate it. If you enjoy this show, you can uh, support me by going to justhuman.substack.com and subscribing or joining my locals or buymeacoffee.com slash justhuman. Those are the best ways to support the show. If y'all missed it, I was on EQ Chamber. I was on EQ Chamber last Thursday night and I did an interview. If you missed that interview, you really need to go watch it. I had a great time talking with those guys, as I always do. And we had a... Uh, we just had a great conversation. Um, I know that not all of you saw it cause I've seen the numbers, but if you're interested in, if you're interested in the Danchenko trial and some other things related to Spygate, that's mostly what we talked about. Um, but we, we, we branched in some other topics too, but EQ chamber, look them up on rumble. Um, just an awesome interview. It flew by. We were talking for two hours and, and we, I think we could have gone for another two hours. It was, it was so good. I really appreciate those guys having me on. I look forward to going on to their show again. Um, me and burning bright, speaking of sh other shows, me and burning bright are putting together a show that we're going to do on badlands media. We're targeting starting that this Sunday and the plans have not been finalized yet, but that's our plan is to start it this Sunday, probably an hour to 90 minute show, more relaxed, not a, uh, not a deep dive receipt heavy show. Like what I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, it's going to be more conversational between him and I thinking about t interacting with the audience more, getting some audience questions or audience ideas or topics. So if you have any, you're welcome to, to throw it out there. Um, Looking forward to it. We should post something later today um, with a time slot and all that kind of stuff. All right. What I want to do with the Pelosi thing, and I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to go kind of fast here, but like I said, I'm probably going to do a, uh, a bonus hour either tonight or tomorrow. So I want to I want to open this stuff up and we're going to we're going to look at some of the I want to try and find the facts in the this Pelosi case, okay? Because I think in my opinion the MSM is doing their best to take hold of this story and contort it and make it suit their needs or their wants, right? So they're making up a whole bunch of fake news based on this story. That's what the MSM is doing. And that's what Democrats and their media are doing and their influencers. They're putting out a whole bunch of fake news on this story. But in my opinion, and I mean no offense, I've seen conservative incorporated and alternative media doing the same thing just from the other angle. And it's really annoyed me. And I didn't mind checking out this weekend as much as possible because I was getting pretty annoyed with the way our side was handling it. I, I think it's, we absolutely should question the story. We absolutely should question and scrutinize and not trust and say, okay, that's the claim, but I want, um, I want evidence. Like I, yeah, totally should. But what we should not do is stoop to the level of 
our opponents and do the same thing that they're doing. So I was pretty frustrated with some of the, just, just all, I mean, it was fun. There was funny stuff going on, you know, the memes and all that stuff. Like it's funny, but I'm just not, I'm just more interested in the facts of the case. So let's start. Let's start by listening to the 911 phone call, which we have right here. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is. But he okay, RP is reporting person. Okay, reporting person. This is not Paul Pelosi on the phone in this recording. This is the dispatcher talking to them, and he is saying the RP, the reporting person, stated that there's someone in the home and he's going to wait for his wife. Hey, copy. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. Okay. What he means is not he... It's from, it's from context, it seems like he doesn't mean that it's him who's waiting for his wife. It's that person who invaded the home, the male, is going to wait for his wife. But it it's unclear, right? It's unclear exactly whose wife he's waiting for. You assume the homeowner's wife, but... Reporting person stated he doesn't know who the male is. Wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. But he said his name is David and he's a friend. So that seems contradictory. I don't know who this guy is, but his name is David and he's a friend. RP sounded somewhat confused. RP sounds confused. Reporting person sounds confused. Well, I think we're all confused. Because that seems like contradictory information. Is a friend? RP sounded somewhat confused. Twelve over back up. Units code three to twenty six forty Broadway for fourteen hours. Okay, that's a different person comes in and now they've elevated the call to code three. Everyone call the vice sufficient units on scene two six four zero Broadway. Special call, special call medic 66, location 2640 Broadway. And they immediately call an ambulance. Now, the space on this, you can see how many minutes go by. This is playing back-to-back -back as if it happened back-to-back, -back, but it didn't. The first clip starts at 221 or 223. No, wait. It's highlight green right here. 227 was the first clip, and then that last one with the ambulance was 2.36. So that's nine minutes, right? So what we just heard played out over nine minutes. This story helps a little bit. It says Paul Pelosi secretly called 911 while in front of the intruder and spoke in code to dispatcher to convey what was happening, saying, why are you here? What are you going to do to me? Do, do, 
confirmation that Paul Pelosi made a 911 call came after media reports said he had secretly called 911 so that the intruder would not know. And he spoke in a way that would help alert the dispatcher to what was happening without giving himself away. Sources told the LA Times that Paul Pelosi told the intruder he needed to use the bathroom and called 911 after stepping away, leaving the line open. The Times reported dispatcher Heather Grimes overheard Paul Pelosi and the intruder talking and alerted police to the situation. Okay, this is why there's that story out there that um, it was a welfare check. This is why. Paul Pelosi didn't call 911 and say, hey, my name is Paul Pelosi and this is my address and um, I got this thing going on here. There's this guy broke in my home. He didn't have a conversation. He called them and left the line open knowing that the police would automatically be like, all right, we got this call from this address on this phone line. We need somebody to go out there and do a welfare check because we have a 911 call and nobody's answering on the other end. We all know that if you call 911, you're going to get someone's going to show up, right? That's what he did. But the dispatcher listened in on it and heard Paul asking this person, who are you? What do you want? And I think that is where some of the confusion comes in about the reporting person in the audio saying, doesn't know who he is, but his name is David and he's a friend. I think it's because the dispatcher is listening into them and Paul Pelosi is saying, what's your name? And the guy says, David. And then Paul Pelosi's like, look, let's be friends. Or, hey, I'm a friend. You're a friend, right? I think Paul Pelosi was likely trying to talk the guy down. I could see a scenario where he's trying to talk the guy down after he broke in. And the dis and the, the, the 911 dispatcher is listening in on this, trying to piece it together, right? I think that's why that what we heard from dispatch is kind of confusing. And that's also why the reporting person is confusing. So I think, I think guys, that when they're saying reporting person in this call that we listen to, they're not talking about Paul Pelosi. They're talking about the dispatcher who's listening in on the phone call. That makes sense. Because it seems like Paul Pelosi didn't have a conversation with the 911 dispatch. 911 dispatch listened in. And then 911 dispatch contacted dispatch for the police and emergency services. So reporting person would be the dispatcher, the 911 dispatcher, not Paul Pelosi. That's why the 911 dispatcher's like, I have these conflicting pieces of information. He doesn't know who he is, but he's a friend and his name is David. More information. Uh, I'll skip that, actually. I'll skip that for now. Because that well, there was a specific reason I wanted this article. What was it? Uh, da, 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 da. There's a specific reason I wanted this article. Why, what was it? I don't remember. Maybe I'll remember here in a minute. All right. So the guy who broke in, he's related to a bunch of leftists. You guys all know that. Um, let me get past that. Let me get past that. I want to still go to the investigative side of the actual incident there at the house. Hold on, hold on. 
Which article is it? Okay. San Francisco PD is saying that Paul Pelosi and the accused attacker, David DePepe, or Pappy, whatever, did not know each other prior to the assault at the Pelosi home on Friday. That fits with what dispatch said. The SFPD also says that there were only two people inside the Pelosi home when they responded, clarifying statements made at Friday's press conference, which seemed to indicate there was a third person inside the home. So you may have seen a story about a unknown person answered the door. I think that's a misunderstanding. I think when they said unknown person answered the door, they didn't mean that there was a third person. They meant that they weren't sure who it was that opened the door, whether police opened it themselves or whether Paul opened it or whether David opened it. So there's been a lot of talk about an unknown third person. I don't think they meant that there was an unknown third person. I think they meant that they weren't sure who it was that actually opened the door. As in, they don't know whether it was police, Paul, or David. They're confirming again. They don't know that Paul and David don't know each other. That's what they're that's what the reporting is. Okay. Let's see. I don't want to get to that. I don't care about that. Okay. Where is that? Maybe maybe the reason I saved this because of the video here. What I want to show you is the patio, but that is just an ad. I want to show you, there we go, there we go. Okay, so I've looked at a lot of images of this break-in here, and really want to find the video of it because the video gives you a bigger shot of the backyard. I grabbed it somewhere. No. That's not it. Okay, so... Sorry, guys. I know that I have it somewhere, but... So, there's a helicopter shot of the backyard. And in the backyard, you see some construction equipment. There's a ladder and what look like toolboxes or some tarps and some other things that are in the backyard right here next to where this broken glass is. It's like right here, just below this front, just below these steps. And what I'm wondering if the attacker actually got construction equipment from that pile of, of stuff. And that's why there were two hammers is that he grabbed two hammers from there because typically in your toolbox, you're going to have more than one type of hammer. Um, but a lot has been made about, this glass door and that the glass was broken out, not broken in. 
There's only glass on the outside, so therefore someone broke out from the inside. There's glass on both sides. And that's what I really wish I had an image of. I know that I had it somewhere. But there's glass on both sides. I wish this one had. Does this have it? Maybe this video will have it. But there's glass on both sides of that door. And maybe it's true that the glass was broken from the the inside possible um but maybe not i was telling someone that you know if you break glass like this like what we're seeing here maybe this video will have it if you break glass and then the door opens to the outside like these doors do some glass can fall and get on the outside of the door. I don't think it's as conclusive as, oh, there's glass on the outside, so therefore the it was broken from the inside. I don't think it's as definitive as that. I think that it's... Man, I wish I really had that other camera. There's another camera shot where you can see that there's glass, about approximately an equal amount of glass on both sides of the door. So... It's not conclusive that it was broken out from the inside. Also, these doors right here are open probably because police were coming in and out. So they opened this door, walked out here, took pictures, whatever. But in the context of the rest of the construction equipment that is right outside these doors, I could see how somebody could grab equipment from there and use it to break into the home. That's all I'm saying. I'm willing to consider all of these possibilities and not just jump to the conclusion that this is some sort of gay sex story. Like, it's weird to me how everybody has, jump in, has jumped to the conclusion that this was some sort of gay sex lover's quarrel with dildo hammers. Like, to me, that doesn't help. I understand that it's funny, but that doesn't help. That doesn't help our side because by doing that, all we're doing is we're giving our opponents more ammo to damage our credibility with. Our opponents already have an extreme fake news narrative that they're putting out, right? They have an extreme fake news narrative that this was an attack by some MAGA crazy QAnon person and that this is calculated and it's related to J6 and it's all Trump's fault, right? They, our opponents already have that narrative going and it's extreme and it's baseless. So in my opinion, we should just debunk that instead of coming up with our own baseless counter narrative that's just as far out, right? Like, That's, I don't see the, I don't see the benefit in doing that. Um, and as you guys know, this guy is a leftist. Actually, he's not a leftist. He's just all over the place. The BLM flags and all sorts of stuff. The guy's just all over the place. I th he's just a mentally deranged person. And if we later find out that he's MK Ultra, I would not be surprised because he seems like the kind of person that would be MK Ultra. 
Fox News doesn't buy the official story. That's great. Like, that's already a win for us, that Fox News isn't buying this official story. Um, That's great. There was something else I wanted to show. Hold on just a minute. Just a minute. Let me, let me change camera view but so I can pull this up. So I need to right here. There we go. Okay. Okay, so there's a there was a story also going around that um the Pelosi home was censored from Google Maps. It is censored from Google Maps if you're in front of the home. But if you go up the street a little bit, at least last night, the sensor went away. Let me see. Here we go. It's not censored. It's censored from a couple places on Google Maps, but it's not censored if you're right here. So here's the Pelosi home. You've got camera, camera, camera. There's the garage door that we've seen vandalized before back in like, what was it, 2020 or 2021? There's the neighbor's home. They have a camera right here. Go down a little bit farther. Nice Subaru. Another camera. I would hate to live here. Like, these homes look awesome, but living on a street like this, golly. Why would you ever want to live on a street with this kind of incline? That sounds horrible. Here is their backyard. Like, there's no high gate. There's no there's no high fence. There's no security guards posted there. Um This is just a public street. Like this isn't a gated community. This is just a public street. Anybody could just walk down the street and you would be walking by the Pelosi house. See, there's the house. There's the gate. Like there's no there's no like 12 foot fence or anything. There's no like somebody could just walk down the street and be like, whoop, jump into the backyard. I'm really, I'm really surprised. It's like that. Now on the day that this Google camera was taken, you see security, you know, there's secret service there, secret service there to appear secret service anyway, right there, you know, so They had guards there at this time, but my understanding from some of the um, my understanding from what I have read is that Secret Service is only with Pelosi. They're not there guarding her husband, and so and also Capitol Police aren't there, and the Capitol Police are in D.C. So I'm really surprised that he would be home without any security guards. Kind of find that difficult to buy, but maybe that is the case. Let me see. What time is it? All right. The official narrative is BS. Like we can, we can all agree the official narrative on this is 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 bs and by that official narrative i mean that it was a maga guy who broke in but at this time i don't see enough reason to believe that 
this wasn't a break-in, that he was invited there, that they knew each other, that there was some sort of gay sex tryst going on, lover's quarrel, like all of that stuff. I don't find evidence of that. I find, I think that's, I don't think we even need to go that far. I think we can just say, we can debunk what the, I think we can just debunk what the fake news is from the left without also engaging in fake news ourselves. That's, that's how I feel about it. There was also a, there was also a fake news story going around on our side that the guy was only going to be charged with elderly abuse. That's incorrect. Police said they're charging him with attempted homicide, burglary, assault with a deadly weapon, aggravated battery with serious bodily injury, elder abuse, infliction of great bodily injury on the elderly, dissuading a victim, threatening a family member of the public official, and damaging or preventing communication for an emergency call. So the dude is being charged with all of those things. Excellent. Excellent. That's awesome. And there was one, and there was one more thing. Um, what was it? Oh, there's another news report. It might be somewhere in this political article, but the assault is caught on camera. The police said that they caught that the attack when the guy attacked Pelosi with the hammers, the police were there and they caught it on the body cam. So, uh, I don't like. There's been all this talk. Where's the video? Where's the video? Will the police have the video? So, yeah, I think I just think that I just think we could make a much more sober analysis of this event than what has been taking place over the weekend. Even though it's less fun to give a sober approach to it. I think it's a lot better because what ends up happening is our side makes up a lot of stuff to cap. We, we go counter to what the mainstream narrative is. And then we give our opponents ammo to damage our credibility with when the information that we have doesn't justify going that far out with it. That's just, that's just my opinion. All right. That's the show for today. I need to run. Sorry I was late, but um, I have more news I want to cover. I have um, some DOJ-related stuff, Seth Rich laptop, um, Nord Stream. What I'll probably do, and also Hunter Biden. So what I'll probably do is either tonight or tomorrow, I'll do a bonus hour, and I will cover some of the DOJ stuff I have and Seth Rich laptop stuff. Maybe also the Hunter stuff. It may be more than an hour. I'm not sure, but I really, I don't want to leave this stuff hanging for Wednesday. I'd rather cover it now and, and get it done with so I can have fresh stuff on Wednesday. So be looking for that. I'll post it on my Substack and on my locals. And mm, I may go ahead and start posting bonus hours on Rumble. I think I will. This is episode number 150. Good time to make a change to that. So I'll start posting it. Yeah, I think I'll post my bonus hour on Rumble as well. So 
Y'all have a blessed day. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. Stay positive. Watch out for those black pillars. They suck. All they want to do is tear you down. Ignore them. Y'all have a great day.